This episode contains strong language as well as discussions of sexual violence and adult themes that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This is In These Moments. I'm Wale Emanuel. And I'm Timmy Ogunira. Today's story is a very heavy but important one. It was the first ever story recorded for this podcast and features one of the strongest women I've ever come across. Um, because we're protecting her identity, her name is going to be bleeped out. We've also taken the extra step of altering her voice. Also, every name you hear in this episode are names that we picked out to help get the story flowing. It was important that we kept names out of this episode due to the pending court case associated with the story. But before we go into the story, um, I want to ask you, Tammy, you've heard parts of it. What are you expecting with this story honestly i'm expecting a heavy story i'm expecting one that is not going to be easy for some women to digest or just some people in general to digest i'm curious to see what the what the response is going to be just from hearing bits and pieces of the story i feel like <laughs> i am in for it i feel like there are parts of it that are probably going to make me uncomfortable honestly but I also feel like it is necessary. I feel like some of the things that she talks about, um, some of the signs that she missed, and you'll see this unfold or you'll understand more of what I'm talking about as you listen to the story. But, you know, I think that these things that she talks about are important, especially. Um, and because you never know who might be in that situation and who might need to learn from a story or hear something. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to listening, but I'm, I'm also, I, I suppose, looking forward in that case to being uncomfortable. I came to you and I, and I told you that a part of me was kind of feeling uncomfortable about actually going ahead with this story mm-hmm. because, you know, I had all this you know, stuff that I was worrying about, about how some people were going to receive it and mm-hmm. how, like, we're quite judgmental. And I was just thinking, like, how's it going to go, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Then I remember that her being able to open up to mm-hmm. talk about this with me was something she did because she really felt like she had to put her stuff out there to speak her mind and talk about her story because she felt the story was important for people to hear. Yeah. And I... I just didn't feel like it would make sense to mm. keep the story based on what some people might think or right. how some or people your might fear. judge her. Right. Yeah. Your fear of how people might judge her if she's gotten to the place where she's comfortable. But I think it's I think that's normal. I feel the same way and I was expressing that um to someone and they were saying, Listen, if you know, it, it's an important story and, and if if this person ultimately feels vulnerable enough to tell the story for whatever their reason might be then i think that it's equally as important that we that we do the telling or that we facilitate the telling so yeah yeah. this story also has something in common with the story we did in episode one because it deals with how someone's life went a whole different direction after coming across somebody so um we're gonna start off the story by talking about how Liz met Malik. I met him when um, my school had this networking site where you could get 
to know the freshman class, like the new people who were coming to the school. And so I met him on there. Um, I also met my roommate on there and I met some of my friends on there. So I didn't really think too much of it. He seemed cool. You know, he was native to the city I live in. So I thought, you know, why not be friends with him? When we first met in person, I thought he was pretty cool. Um, I found him attractive, but I didn't like, I didn't like want to date him or anything. And one thing I noticed about him was that our conversations mostly centered around him and what he was doing. I don't know. He was like very ego driven. He wanted to make himself seem bigger and badder. I lived on campus and he was a commuter. So we didn't really see each other very often. My first two semesters, I maybe saw him, hung out with him maybe four times. We didn't really get close or whatever um, until the summer after freshman year. The summer after my freshman year was really tough for me because my parents weren't living in the country and I didn't have a job, I didn't have any money. Um, it was like really stressful. And from what I remembered of the conversations I had with Malik, you know, his dad had owned a company and could have been a hiring option. And my priority at that time was making sure that I had an income that wasn't gonna drive me crazy. And so I reached out to him and he suggested to me like, oh yeah, we can um, meet up and I'll tell you a little bit more about my dad's cab company and then we could go from there. And so I'm sitting here thinking that, you know, I'm gonna get a job either as a receptionist or like a dispatcher for this car company. So he came over to the apartment that I was staying in. I met him in his car and like we were just catching up. He told me that he had been arrested for something. Um, he made up a story about how he had a party at someone's house and things got broken and stolen. And then the person's mom pressed charges. The way he put, he pitched the, the story to me, I thought that, you know, it was just a scenario of like being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like he threw a party at his friend's crib. His friend said that it was okay, but the friend's mom like spazzed out. And I mean, to this day, I can't really verify the validity of that story, but it was just like, whatever. He also filled me in on the girlfriend that he had at the time and how he broke up with her because she was crazy. Just all kinds of things that now maybe should have raised red flags. But at the time I was 18, I was extremely vulnerable and I really just, I was looking for stability, you know? I wanted something consistent in my life. Um, the second time we hung out, I was in a really shitty position. I just found out that my dad didn't make the last payment he needed to make for me to go to school. And I found that out because I couldn't register because I had an outstanding balance that I didn't know about. And it was about $10,000. And I was scared because, as I mentioned before, my parents didn't live in the country. I didn't have a place to stay because the girls I was renting from moved back. And so it was just, it was really scary. Like, I knew that I only had a few more days left where I was, like, living. And it was just like, ugh. So I was like, you know, hey, you know, we never got the chance to speak about your dad's company. So what, like, what's going on? And prior to the conversation, we were talking via Facebook and he said, you know, just in case it doesn't pan out with my dad, I have another 
job opportunity that could work but i'll give you the details when we talk in person and he wooed me and told me that i'd be perfect for what he had in mind that he'd be able to help me out i had sex with him and it was great and we kept doing it and so i felt like oh wow like maybe maybe he's not like not lying to me so he comes over and he's like okay well i spoke to my dad and he's not hiring right now and I'm like, oh, okay. So you mentioned you had another job opportunity for me. What is it? And he's like, oh, well, you can be an escort. And at the time, I didn't really know much about escorting. I literally heard the term once before when I was, I think I was 16 or 17 and I was watching a TV show. The way it was put on the show, like she slept over at this guy's crib and he wrote her a check for $10,000. And because on the show, she didn't actually sleep with him. I just, I, I didn't really think about it. And so Malik told me that he had this one girl who drives a Jaguar and is doing really well for herself um, because she's an escort and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay. So he let me know that the way he sets it up, nothing bad would happen to me and that I wouldn't have to sleep with anybody. Literally, I'd be getting paid to hang out with people, go out to eat with them, let them sniff coke off my butt, whatever. But I was given the impression that I had total control. And me being a vulnerable 18-year-old who was almost homeless, and this is the only person in my life who is even remotely trying to help me, I was like, okay, well, why not? The first night that... I ever escorted I was staying with my friend and his mom a different friend and I had been staying with them for a couple of days and I tell him like hey my friend is coming to get me and I'll just take my stuff with me and so Malik comes to get me I think he came with one of his friends his best friend Andrew and his dad's car and to this day that car remains a trigger and every time I see one that looks like it it just freaks me out but so I put my suitcase in the back of his car first of all they took me to Popeyes and then they took me to this man's apartment and on the way there Malik is telling me you know hey you're gonna be safe this is what this guy wants you don't even have to have sex with him he's just like he's high as fuck and so we pull up to this guy's apartment and so this guy <laughs> answers the door this big white man high out of his mind on coke and he's like oh yeah you can come with me into my bedroom in my mind at this point i'm doing a lot of rationalizing so in my head i'm just like okay remember anything is fine just don't let him penetrate you and so this man is like doing lines of coke i think what stood out to me the most was like he had like bags of candy he had like swedish fish and like sour patch kids it was all kinds of like fruity candy and he like offered me candy and I was like sure and so he's like there sniffing coke and I'm like eating sour patch kids and then he's like oh like you should let me eat you out and I'm like oh okay I think I was only supposed to get paid for like an hour but then he's like oh yeah well I'm not done and so literally I got paid to like let this guy eat me out for two hours while he fed me fruity sour candy in my mind I was like oh that was okay because I didn't actually have sex with him and I was safe so I go back to the car. Malik is like, okay, well, this is great. You seem to have had a good time. And he's like, half of it is mine. I'm like, okay. That, that kind of pattern continues for like the next 10 days. I found a place to stay temporarily. Every night he would pick me up 
take me to different people's apartments and I never had sex with anyone. I felt like I truly had control. I remember there was this one guy. He set it up so that this guy would come pick me up from where I was and take me to this like seedy motor inn. And it was really creepy. That guy really creeped me out. And I think Malik had told him that he could do something with me that I didn't necessarily give consent for. And so that might have been the first experience I had that I was trying to like make it so that I could walk out of the situation without that guy having had sex with me and still get paid for it. And it worked. He took me back to where I was staying. Then I got kicked out of where I was staying because the person that I was staying with kept having her boyfriend over. And apparently that wasn't part of the sublease agreement. And so the people who were renting the other room felt uncomfortable. And because they were white, they were given priority. (laughs) So I was once again homeless. The second night that I was there, he, you know, took me out as normal. But then something different happened. This guy rapes me. And I felt that at that point, a part of my soul kind of was like over it. I was just like, okay, well, since this guy had sex with me, I'm just gonna have sex with all the other guys and just like call it a day. Cause I didn't really have the energy to keep like fighting. And I could tell that Malik was growing more and more frustrated because he was the one setting up the appointments. I don't know what he was telling these men. He was becoming more and more agitated at the fact that I wasn't sleeping with them. But in my mind, I was like, well, you told me I didn't have to. And so I guess this client, I don't know what he had told him, but he was under the impression that he was going to have sex with me. And that was it. After that, I kind of, I went back to the hotel and it kind of continued like that for the next couple of days. And then there was a night that he came to get me too long after that. And then I remember there was a client who Malik had taken me there. And it was just the most disgusting experience I ever had in my life. It didn't involve sex, but this guy, another guy who was into coke, and a lot of these men were, they were into all kinds of drugs. And so he's like doing coke and he offers me some. And so that was the very first time I'd ever done coke in my life. And it wasn't the last time. I don't want to say that I became like addicted to it, but it definitely helped me cope. But this guy was just like creep. He was like really into like pee and stuff. So like he wanted me to pee on him. And I'm like high out of my mind. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and anything to extend my my time so that I could get more money. And it's just, it's super disgusting. A couple of nights after that, I'm at the hotel and I'm like, you know, drinking by myself. I do a little bit of coke so I could stay awake because he would get really mad at me for being tired, whatever. Um, so he takes me to this client's house. I think before this incident happened, there were two clients, but before the incident happened, I remember there's this guy and he was really nice to me. Um, he gave me more Coke. Um, he also gave me weed. I didn't have a bad time with him. It was one of my better experiences. Get back in the car with Malik and he takes me to an apartment complex. And in retrospect, like this is one of the incidences that, damn, I wish I knew or I wish I'd done this differently. I'm in front of this apartment complex and there's this lady and she's like in front of the door and she's like, hey, are you 
And I'm like, oh, yeah. She's like looking at her phone clearly from like what Malika texted her. And she's like, yeah, so I'm super excited to meet you. Like, are you going to eat me out? And I was like, yeah, why not? Because <laughs> I'm like high and I'm just like, I want to get the night over with. And then out of nowhere, two cops jump out of the not the bushes, but like they were they were lurking and I get arrested. And it's so terrifying because number one, I didn't set that up. And number two, like, holy shit, like I'm getting arrested. I'm in the back of a police car and the male cop is really, really nasty to me. He's like, well, who's forcing you to sell yourself and who's doing this and who's doing that? And I'm like, literally the dude in the car with me set the appointment up you can check my phone and the cop was like that dude said he's just your driver and by that point Malik had like dipped and so I'm in the back of a cop car completely alone they take my phone and all my money I think I had about two three hundred dollars on me I get to the police station and the female cop is really nice to me She's like, oh, well, you shouldn't even be here and blah, blah, blah. I get booked and fingerprinted and the whole nine. And then they, they put me in a jail cell. I'm with this other girl. I don't really remember much about her, but we were both young. And I was scared, really scared. I couldn't eat. It was really scary because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know the who what when where why i didn't know when i'd get out i didn't have a way to contact my family or him and when i finally got out roughly 36 to 48 hours later i didn't have any money on me they'd thrown away my social security card my wallet was basically empty um my purse was basically empty the cops took everything including my cell phone i didn't have a cell phone for about three weeks after um because they needed it for evidence and so I had nowhere to go. I had to figure out how to get back to the hotel that I was staying at because like all my stuff was there. And I thought, you know, maybe if I could get to my MacBook, I can like iMessage people. I get back there and luckily they kept my stuff in storage. So I was able to reach out to a few people, let them know that I wasn't dead. I tried to reach out to Malik and I didn't hear from him. And so that added another level of fear because he was supposed to be there to protect me and keep me safe. So why, why wasn't he there? And so during the span of that, those three days when I didn't hear from him, first of all, I didn't have any money for a hotel room. I was literally sleeping in the Dunkin' Donuts and I had to like put coins together to just get coffee. And so what happened was like, I'd pay to get coffee just so that I could stay awake because I didn't want to like actually fall asleep in a Dunkin' Donuts. And then I'd fill out a survey and then I'd get a free donut. And so it was kind of like, it kind of kind of worked out. But then there came a time where I just absolutely couldn't do it anymore. I was so tired and so hungry. And there was this guy who was in the parking lot. Like I was literally on the corner of the street, like where the Dunkin' Donuts was. And he was like, hey, I like, I could get you a hotel room. And at that point, I I knew the drill. Like I just wanted a place to like sleep. And so I had sex with him and then I had a hotel room and I was like momentarily appeased. But then the next night came and I didn't have any money. And so I met this guy in the Dunkin' Donuts. He worked in the neighborhood where I was staying, but then he lived like in a completely different neighborhood. So he was like, hey, like, why don't we just get a hotel for the night? But he didn't want to have sex with me. He just literally 
didn't want me out there in the street. It felt nice because I was able to like take a shower and like he bought me new clothes and he was like, yo, like I'll see you later. And he added me on Facebook and that was it. I was like, dude, like you didn't even try to like have sex with me. Like, wow. <laughs> um, so then I make it back to the neighborhood where the, the hotel is and Malik messages me on Facebook because I couldn't talk to him via text because no phone. And so he meets me and he's like, hey, like you could just stay at my house. And I was like, okay. Literally, his house was like a five minute walk from where the hotel was. And in my mind, I was like really upset because first of all, he knew that if anything, I would go back to the hotel. Like he he didn't even come look for me. And then the fact that he wasn't like accessible, it really freaked me out. And then like the first thing he said, like when I saw him, he was like, yo, like, where have you been? Like, we were waiting for you and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, my dude, I literally got arrested. You you've been arrested before like you should know what the process is so i stayed at his house and his dad and his sister they were really nice to me his dad was really nice but he was also really creepy malik would sleep on the couch and i would sleep in his bed there's this one morning i woke up i wasn't fully fully awake but like my eyes fluttered open and malik's dad was watching me sleep and i was like oh and he would like hug me but like for a little too long and he would like buy me like these really he he just like always make me tea and give me fruits and try to feed me it was really weird um but his sister i bonded with his sister and funny enough his sister and i are still friends to this day then i couldn't stay with him anymore because his mom came one day and said some racist things about me and he's like okay well my mom says you can't stay here anymore so i moved to a new hotel and in that hotel, um, I spend about six months. But by that time, I was already like so tired. I was so jaded with the whole thing. I was so tired of being isolated with, from my friends and family. I was tired of him like monitoring like who I could talk to and who I couldn't talk to. Because during the time that I was staying at his his house, I got my phone back. But I was so tired of him like watching that and like policing who I could see, who I couldn't see, who I could hang out with, who I could talk to, where I could go. And so when I moved to the new hotel was kind of when the dynamic had shifted. And he also started taking all of my money and he would only leave me with what was enough to pay for the hotel the next day. And during those six months, I had gone into a program so that I could get my court case like sealed and like removed and so it wouldn't really have any lasting impact on my life. And I was getting help. But then he knew that I was getting help from the program. Like he knew that they were there specifically to help women who were being trafficked. And so he stopped me from seeing them and he would make sure that like his friends were there. He had like maybe three or four of them who would be stationed outside of the hotel at any given time before i went anywhere he i have to tell him um and if i wasn't back by a certain time like he'd get really mad at me and he'd say really really horrible things to me and i just felt so small and i felt like i had no soul like i just i really 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 wasn't like a i, I wasn't a person i was like just a thing that's how i felt and so it's January 2014. I'm still in this hotel. And Malik's sister texts me. And she's like, hey, how are you? I haven't seen you in forever. Like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. Just, you know, putting up with your brother's bullshit. And she's like, ha, that's funny. Because his girlfriend said the same thing. And during the time that I was with him, he given me the impression that we were in like a weird relationship. And so when he met, when his sister mentioned girlfriend, I was like, what? <laughs> 
And so that night, I completely flipped out on him. And I think for a week after that, like I didn't escort because he was like, it's fine. Like you're, you know, you're my priority and your safety is my priority and X, Y, Z. And I don't know, to describe the dynamic of that relationship, it's just like the classic abuser, classic emotional manipulator, classic financial abuser. And in the span of this time period that I just mentioned, you know, I had really scary things happen to me. Like, and I learned to become like very, very distrustful and very, very paranoid of men. Like his friend took me to this one neighborhood and I don't even think I'd ever go back to this neighborhood again just because like I'd be too triggered. But like he drops him off at this guy's doorstep and the guy comes out of his apartment. Like, well, it's not really an apartment. It's like the back door of his house, but like his hood is like all drawn up and he starts, he like runs up on me and I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, and here I am running like back to his friend's car and I like almost trip and fall and it's just like really scary. And then there's another incident where he takes me to this guy's apartment and I have sex with this guy. They always pay me first. But then after like the guy takes his money back and he's like holding it in his hand and it's really scary because I'm like, dude, like, give me my money back. And I I don't know if he has any weapons. Like, I don't know. And so I just let him, like, keep it because my life was more valuable than however much money it was for the half hour that I was there. Sometimes, like, they would rob me. I remember once this guy, he, like, he robbed me. I had like $600 in my wallet. And when I went to the bathroom, he'd taken my wallet. I called him back. I told, I told Malik, I'm like, hey, this guy just like stole $600 from me. I don't know what to do. And I was scared because at that point I was scared of Malik. I didn't know if he was going to hurt me um, because he became very, very evil, like over the the course of the time that I was with him. And he gets mad at me because this guy steals $600. And at this point, I just want my wallet back. Like, I don't even care about the money. So I, t- I call the guy and I'm like, hey, listen, like, bring my wallet back. You can keep the money, but just bring my fucking wallet back. And I got a call from the hotel lobby and they're like, hey, like someone, someone brought your wallet. And then there came a point in time where I had to move hotels because it's like hella sus, like living in a hotel for like six months, spending roughly $150 a night, having like random men come to your hotel room. I'm pretty sure they knew that what I was doing. So I moved hotels. But before, right before I moved hotels, I got really sick. I had this really, really weird stomach pain and I couldn't like walk. And so I had to like drag myself to the most convenient hospital. And it turns out I had a really bad kidney infection. And I don't even know how that happened. Cause like even to go to the doctor was like a hassle. I told Malik's friend, cause I also became close with Malik's friend and I ended up interacting with him more than I did Malik. And no one came to see me. Like I could have died. I literally could have died and no one would have known. At this point in the interview, I had to stop and ask her if she reached out to her family with everything that was going on at the time. Even if I wanted to tell my family what was happening, like the shame just completely consumed me. And I felt like I couldn't say anything to them. And even to this day, like I haven't said anything to them. I feel like they don't need to know because I mean, I'm okay, right? (laughs) I found a way to like call my dad that didn't involve WhatsApp because like he didn't really use it at the time. Because I told them that I was in the hospital and they were like freaked out because I called him at a really weird hour because I needed his insurance information. Because for whatever reason, like he was still able to like, he maintained insurance. At this point in the story, she went into detail about how her relationship with Malik evolved. 
he became quite controlling and started isolating her from friends and family. I had like gone to visit someone for a couple of days, you know, sometimes he'd let me take a break. Sometimes if need be, you know, he would let me see which one of my family members like remained here, but under very strict conditions. So I come back and he's supposed to get me set up at the hotel, but he didn't. I'm trying to like reach out to him. I don't hear from him. I'm freaking out. And he doesn't contact me until 5 a.m. the next morning. But by that time, I had to like sleep on a park bench. It was fucking snowing. I was so cold. And then I went to Starbucks and I was like so tired that I was falling asleep. And they're like, excuse me, but you can't be asleep here. It was such a mess. The very first time that I was actually seriously harmed by a client was April in 2014. You know, I was staying in a really nice hotel. I think it was either him or his friend. He sent someone over. You know, it goes well. I don't really suspect him. I put my money in the safe and, you know, the proceed is normal. I try to give off the image of, you know, hey, like, I want you to be here. I want you to be comfortable. So I like to walk my clients out see them off to the door. So this particular day, I walked the client to the door. He happened to be behind me and I reached to open the door. But as I reached for the door, he like grabs me from behind and he pulls a gun on me. He's like, give me access to the safe. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he's like tossing me all over. I remember like I, my knee get banged up really bad because like he's tossing me like against the corner of the bed where like the little metal thing juts out. He has a gun and some sort of tasing device. And I'm just like really scared. I couldn't really like scream because he told me that he'd pull the trigger if I screamed. And at this point in my head, I'm just like, oh my God, I'm a wig by me. Like that's the only thing that was going through my head. I thought I was going to die. So I'm getting banged up and I'm getting seriously hurt by this guy. I just let him take all the money in the safe. I think it was about $1,500. And at that point, I'm like really disappointed because that's like a lot of money for me. And I had to work hard to get it. I mean, I wish I had been one of those escorts who could like make $1,500 in two hours, but that wasn't the case. Like this man was setting it up. So every time a client came to see me, if it was for an hour, maybe $150. So it just like really stung. So then he leaves and I just have a complete meltdown. Then I call him over. He doesn't pick up his phone, of course, because he's never there when I need him. He's only there when I need to give him money or something needs to happen. So what I did next was I called his friend and I told him like this guy tried to kill me. He took all my money. And so his friend comes. The room is a complete mess. And he brings Malik with him. It was his friend, Mike. Mike and Malik, they were an interesting duo. Even though Mike was like low-key exploiting me, he was so much nicer about it. Like he would always make sure that I was okay. And so when they came, Malik was like, you know, trying to comfort me. He seemed a little bit distant. Like he didn't really care what happened either way. But I noticed that Mike was like starting to clean up the room. Like he was like rearranging, um, you know, the furniture, trying to like, he's picking up stuff off the floor. He seemed to be truly concerned. Um, and so after that, like, I was just, I was so shaken up. I didn't want to see anyone. That particular hotel where the guy tried to kill me at, I was there for maybe two months. But then I, afterwards, I just got too paranoid. And so I went to different ones. 
Um, and the reason why I was paranoid was because before I went to that really nice hotel, right after I got my kidney infection, this one hotel, they threatened to call the cops on me because they knew what I was doing. And it was just like super embarrassing. And here I am in this abusive relationship with Malik in my head. He's like my boyfriend and everything in his head. I'm just a girl he's pimping out. So I got dropped off at this guy's apartment. As soon as I get upstairs, the guy flashes a cop badge and he's like, you know, you could either go to jail or you could spend the night with me. I really, really, really wished I had said I'd rather go to jail because this guy completely just defiles me against my consent. Maybe it was even a fake cop badge. I do not know. But at this point, I'm already so scared of like getting arrested again and I'm scared of getting harmed. And this man is just like so creepy and he's saying really disgusting things to me and he's raping me and I'm just like, oh my God, I just want it to be over. And so then he's like, let me call a cab for you. When I was contacting Malik, he sees that I'm on my phone and he's like, who the fuck are you texting? And he takes my phone and he just like, I don't, he tosses it somewhere. And so now I'm just like, great, now I can't be rescued. When, when he's finished with me, he decides to call me a cab. But I'm like, no, it's fine. But he insists. He gives me my phone back. And as soon as I get in the cab, he asks to speak to the cab driver via my phone because he calls me to make sure I'm fine. And the reason that some of these men could contact me was because Malik would, he'd give them my actual phone number in case there was like, like they got lost or something. I don't know. But this guy calls me and he's like, let me talk to the cab driver. And he asked the cab driver to tell him where he's dropping me off. The cab driver tells him the address. And I was telling him like, no, don't tell him. Don't tell him. And the guy, um, the client was like, well, why is he taking you to a hotel? Because he knew he knew where I was being dropped off at. The next morning, you know, I get home and I'm fine. And I'm scared because I'm just like, now he knows where I'm staying. Like, what if he like pops up? Um, but I wake up to several missed calls from him. And I'm just really scared. And so I block his number. I'm just traumatized. <laughs> okay, so Valentine's Day of 2014, he had given me a laptop because my computer stopped working for whatever reason. It's significant because on this day in June, something was wrong with the computer. And so I was trying to figure out, I think it was the internet browser wasn't working or something because I had installed some software that enabled me to play Game Boy games on the PC. And it, it fucked up me being able to connect to Google Chrome. I'm pretty good with computers if I do say so myself so I figured out how to make it work but in the process I made a, quite a few discoveries his iPod was connected to that PC so I could see his contacts I could see his pictures I could see some things so I went through his contact I saw how he had my my name saved in his phone it was saved as a really rude play on my name he had someone's name saved in his phone as soulmate with two hearts next to it so I took note of that so remember how I told you back in January, you know, his his sister told me that he had a girlfriend. He told me the girl's name. And because I'm really good at stalking people, I was able to find her. So I knew what she looked like. So I go through his pictures and there's like pictures of him and the girl. And, you know, when you take a photo on an iPhone, there's like a little timestamp. Like when you before they they started saying it is img whatever like there was a there were timestamps on his computer and so i was just like oh okay this is from after we had that first argument and so he's still continuing to see her and claim her publicly okay okay all right then no problem <laughs> and so i confront him about it and he tells me some bullshit lie about how they're old pictures and blah 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 and that it's not even real 
And I just felt so like upset because he clearly has this girlfriend and doesn't give a fuck about me. But I had rationalized this whole situation, this whole being traffic thing because like he and I were supposedly in a relationship. But then when I realized that we weren't, it didn't make any sense. And so that was the first time ever that I tried to hurt myself. And then I told him that a client did it so that it could get his attention and so that he'd feel bad because he was like treating me like shit. I didn't know that I could do, I was like capable of doing those kinds of things, but he like triggered a really scary part of me. During one of the months, he let me go back to see my family because at this point my dad had moved back. I had to go because like someone in my family was getting married and they wanted me to be a bridesmaid. And if I had said no, like it would have aroused suspicion because I was telling my family like one thing, like they had a whole completely different perspective of how my life was going. I can't remember what I told them I did, but they were under the impression that I was doing okay. So I went back and then I, when I came back to the hotel I was staying at, I kind of decided that I hated him. Like I really did. There was like a growing resentment. And after the whole situation with his girlfriend, it was weird. Like it was a really, really weird dynamic. And so for the the three months that followed, so July, August, September, he would like try and be nice to me because I was his source of income. He got me a new iPhone. Well, I got me a new iPhone because it was my money. But he told me that it was okay for me to get it. I used his home address to like get mail sent to and so i found out that he was like trying to get my debit card information like he was so financially controlling and abusive all he cared about was fucking money like literally i've never met someone in my life who was that money hungry it's actually so bad like when i was staying at his house like the previous october um on his laptop like there was a tab open and the tab set like was like he literally googled how to rob a bank fast forward back to you know that summer period like you know we're not really talking but he lets me get this new iphone and then you know my friend asked me if i want to go to a concert with her i was like yes and this particular friend was probably the the only person who would consistently check in on me and she was going through her own shit but you know she was like she was stable um and after this whole ordeal happened and I told her what happened. Like she was so hurt by it. As are like most of my friends. Cause it's like one of those things where you have no idea that this thing could have happened to me. <laughs> she invites me to this concert and I'm so excited to go. And I tell him, you know, I'm like, Hey, my friend invited me to a concert. I typically didn't work during the day unless like he was really desperate for money. So I was like, Hey, like I'll be back before like nine o'clock. I go and Jay-Z is about to perform. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to miss this. But then he starts getting antsy and like he starts berating me and he starts like saying really shitty things to me. And I'm like, you know, I think I should, you know, head back. And so I met in a taxi on the way back to the hotel. My friend texts me like, Jay-Z just brought up Beyonce and she wasn't even supposed to be at this concert. And my heart sinks my heart is like on the ground so here i am i'm missing like one of my favorite musicians getting the opportunity to see her perform for free mind you and then on the other hand like i have this guy like telling me how useless i am and how worthless i am then he starts to get like he starts to be really really fucking mean like he was already mean 
But like he would get mad at me over nothing. Like I remember there was one day I wanted to go to this restaurant. I wanted to eat Nigerian food. Like, goddamn. So I go and then I come back and then he like gets mad because he had someone waiting for me. And I was like, what the fuck? I meet him outside in his car and he's like, what the fuck is your problem? Like you're missing out on money just because you want to go eat Nigerian food. Like what the fuck? And I was just like, dude, like calm the fuck down. It was really scary when he was mad. And I remember there was a time where, cause you know, this whole industry, like whether it's modeling or sex or porn, like it's your appearance matters. And there was a day, cause I would like wear wigs or whatever. There was a day where m- one of my wigs got fucked up and I needed to go buy a new one. And by chance, you know, my dad had sent me some money, just a couple hundred bucks. And so I went and I got a wig and it took some time and he was mad. And he was like, why the fuck are you using this money to spend that much money on your hair? And I was like, first of all, my dad sent me that money. It's not yours. And second of all, why why are you even yelling at me over something that's stupid? You're the one who's complaining that it's been slow and that if I look a certain way, these men should be, you know, flocking. So it's just like, what the fuck? It just really irritated me. And so during that period of time, I was becoming more and more disillusioned. I was ready to like leave. Like I was getting to that point. So November of 2014, I'm finally able to put my foot down and get an apartment around the corner from the hotel that I was staying at. The landlady let me move in on really good terms. I didn't have to sign a lease. I felt kind of safe. That's one step closer of like me being able to leave him. During that point in time, like, you know, he's acting, he's really, he's being really sketchy. Like I'd ask for money to pay my rent and he'd be like, no. And I was just like, what? So I had to like scrape together money to make sure I can pay the like the $2,500 it costs to live in that place. One of my most consistent clients, if not the most consistent, was a man that I had met earlier that summer. I think it was maybe May or June. Um, This is a man that I'm still in contact with. I've never had sex with him, but he was probably, we kind of developed some sort of relationship like he really cared about me he's not married no kids and so he'd make sure I was okay and it also helps that I gave him really good blowjobs but I genuinely liked him like he was I think he he, at the time when I first met him he was maybe like 50 I don't know there's just something about that man that like which is why I'm still in contact with him today funny enough he doesn't really trigger me we have a really good relationship and he bailed me out of so many bad situations. Like for example, when Malik wouldn't let me pay my rent, he'd write me a check for a thousand dollars and there was half my rent or like a third of it. So during this time period, yeah, like I'm struggling. Like I have this apartment that I can barely pay for. I'm lonely. I'm depressed out of my mind. And so what I did, I reconnected with a counselor from the program that I was in and she's like oh my god like you're still alive and I was like yes (laughs) so we started talking again and um she's probably she's one of my favorite people she's one of my favorite women if I didn't have her my life would be completely different you know I'm so tired of feeling helpless I'm I was tired of like just not having anyone I was tired of being lonely I was tired of just feeling so worthless and so meaningless like I was so scared of that feeling I was tired of it and I was scared of it because I didn't know what would happen if I continued this way I felt like I was either gonna die like if someone was gonna kill me or I was gonna kill myself that was the two ways that it could have happened he let me go home that Christmas 
I came back and I went to a New Year's party. And so this is January 2015. Like, I went to a New Year's party with my friend. And as we brought in the new year, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I made that decision. Like, I couldn't do it. Like, I missed having a life. Like, the start of my adult life was, like, robbed for me. So I made that decision. And even though I was stuck in an, an expensive-ass apartment, even though I was fucking lonely, I knew that I couldn't do it. And I would find a way. So he texted me one day. He said something. Because I told him, like, I didn't want to do it anymore. And he's like, okay, well, why don't you just go work at a, at a restaurant and like we can get people's credit card information. And I completely spazzed out. I was like, listen, first of all, you're out here pimping me out under the guise of something else. And number two, like what the entire fuck? Like I completely spazzed out. I blocked his number. I had to like really figure out and get my footing. But leaving Malik was probably, it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Not because I didn't want to leave him, because I did. It's just that I didn't know how. That shit was tough. And luckily, I still had a few, like, favorite clients that, like, I would go see. Like, I had to continue doing it for myself just until, like, I got back on my feet. And then, and then I didn't have to anymore. Then I had to find another form of work. And so I started, like, bartending at a strip club. And then I started dancing. And then eventually I didn't have to anymore because then I got a real job. And so from January 2015 up until now, it's literally been me building my life up back from scraps because I lost a lot of things. Um, I lost a lot of possessions. I lost a lot of who I was. And so it's really been me trying to build that back up. That's all I've been doing. Like I haven't really taken the time to heal or consciously do anything because I'm so focused on like getting my life back on track even though like I'm doing pretty well like that mentality like I'm so scared that like I do something and like someone will take it away from me I get money I don't even want to spend it because like I'm so scared I'll never get it back and so it's really been like a battle with PTSD and like not not falling victim to like being re-traumatized as we're rounding up the interview i asked her how her experiences have influenced her relationship with men and if she has been in a romantic relationship since all this happened whenever i meet a new guy it's like the same cycle you know i meet a guy i really like him he'll be a shitty texter because for whatever reason i attract shitty texters and then like I get super anxious because it's like, why isn't he, why isn't he paying attention to me? Like, is it, is it something that I did? And then I overthink it. And then because I've never had a positive interaction with a man before, it, it feeds my anxiety. Because maybe if I even had one boyfriend in the past, I'd be like, oh, girl, you good. Like, you've, you know, you can get a man. But at this point, it's less of can you get a man? Because I don't want one to the point where I'm going to compromise myself. But it's just like me kind of trying to prove to myself that like I can actually be in a healthy relationship with anybody like what be it a man or a woman or whomever and so that's like my challenge like being able to control my triggers because I do get triggered um and my triggers lead to self-sabotaging behavior but it's also like fear because then it's like okay let's say I get into a healthy relationship with a man do I tell them what happened to me like what if I become a mom like what if my kids find out like do I tell it's like what it's like a never-ending cycle of okay 
you've navigated this. Now a new challenge comes up. How do you navigate this around your trauma? And finally, I asked if she was getting some help through therapy. So I'm currently on a therapy break, um, but I have seen three therapists. They were amazing. Um, I have been on medication. I think now I'm getting to like a point where I, I need to see a therapist again because I do take therapy breaks. Um, I do it in bits and pieces. You know, I work with a therapist. I do the healing things, but like I've never really taken time. But then I can't afford to because how, how will I pay my rent? Like how will I pay my bills? How will I take care of myself, you know? So now my newest challenge is, you know, finding a way to balance maintaining this life that I created for myself and taking care of my mental health. Tibby, what do you think about this story? I mean, I want to start with when she talks about the cop. I follow like one or two sex workers and, you know, I like listen to other perspectives and because they talk about sex work and rape and all of these things a lot. And I just found it interesting that she talks about a cop who defiled her against her consent. And it's like, how many times, Willie, have you actually heard this narrative? You know, how many times have you heard about a woman getting arrested for prostitution or whatever, and the cop also being one of the people that's not only their most frequent customer, but also takes advantage of the fact that, you know, sex work is illegal. And then think about how many people, how many women sometimes find themselves in situations in which they end up, you know, that kind of becomes the fastest way for them to earn money, especially when there's no other viable option. Yeah, um... The, the thing with the cop was quite interesting because we hear stories about cops doing some really horrible things to people in some line of work they feel they can exploit. Um, a good example is how they deal with um, drug dealers and how they pretty much rob drug dealers. I'm, I've, we've seen stuff like that in movies where we've heard those stories around a lot. And um, it, it's just interesting to see that they prey on people they feel like you know, you can't really do anything. So what's going to happen? Yeah, but drug dealing is a false equivalence to sex work. Yes. You know, there's drug dealing. You can understand why it's illegal. I mean, it's illegal, right? but it's still illegal to steal from somebody regardless of wherever it of came course. from. That's like what I'm trying to say. Taking something from somebody that, you know, can't quite defend themselves if they were going to report. I think the whole thing was painful to hear in places where she just couldn't really like stand up for herself in this story there are times where multiple times where she spoke about feeling threatened like today was the day yeah. she was going to lose her life and i don't know if you guys have seen joy i think it's have you seen joy on netflix it's Will it's it? on my list i still haven't seen it please watch it because you know this is a thing and it's been going on for years now where Ni young nigerian girls are taken to places like italy and you know promised hopes of jobs and things like that and they think they're genuinely going there to work even if it's meager jobs you know they think that's what they're going to do only for them to you know be roped into prostitution and now they owe this person who brought them here a debt they're illegally in the country what are they going to do they have people back home family back home that they have to send money to you know and so i just i just want us to start thinking more about these types of situations and not even just women who are forced into sex work at the end of the day sex work is work and so 
if it is not something and that's why i said it was a false equivalence to drugs mm -hmm. because with drugs at least you know that like the reason why is because you're harming you're actively harming people but with sex work that's that's not what's occurring you know what i mean it's it's supposed to be at least two consenting participants and so in that case there is no reason why the person that's supposed to be protecting you should be the one who is defiling and that's the word you use defiling you the most interesting thing to me really is observing how her relationship with Malik evolved. I think in the beginning, you know, her thinking they had some relationship and right. thinking they had some kind of Bunny and Clyde relationship. You know, I was doing this, mm -hmm. he, you know, we're doing this together and coming into the realization that, yo, that's not what's happening here. This person is basically just right. pimping me off and just making money off me. Mm -hmm. Coming to that realization must have been really tough for her because for her. whatever you feel like, you have to remember she, she was, was young. young also. <laughs> and also, even if yeah. even people who aren't that young, whenever feelings for somebody are involved in certain cases, like logic goes out the window. Like you really don't know mm -hmm. how you're going to react to it. I know many people think of sex trafficking as kidnapping, abducting, and then selling people. But it's a lot more complex than that. Some people are being trafficked by family members, friends, and sometimes people they're in a relationship with, as this case shows. And it could really be complex because it's something that could be happening right in front of you. And if you don't really know the signs, you wouldn't know that somebody around you has been trafficked. Yeah, especially for people who are like, well, why didn't she just get up and leave? I think that the financial aspect, when she talks about financial abuse, that's also very important because oftentimes, even with um, domestic abuse situations, that's what happens. You know, when one person controls entirely the finances, and in this case, even though she's the one who is really bringing in the money, he is the one who is in charge of it. He is the one who decides how it's distributed. And it's unfortunate that she's at his mercy. And and on top of that, she's staying in this place. And the reality is, if he's not paying the hotel fee, she has nowhere to stay. I think it's even interesting that she also talks about hurting herself to make him feel bad. I think it, it probably comes from that place of still needing that validation, you know, that admittance or admitting at least that he did wrong mm -hmm. and acknowledging through doing that, that she she mattered to him, that she meant something. I think usually that's where that comes from or and that she meant enough, at least for him to regret the way that he treated her. Did you notice that every time something horrible happened to her, there mm -hmm. was never a conversation about him apologizing or feeling bad or yeah like that's one thing yeah. I, I thought was really weird i don't know if you've ever even just been in a relationship with someone like that someone who was not someone who ever thought to apologize and let's be honest here there are times where you'll stay because you want that validation you want that just just that even yeah i'm sorry i did wrong and i think where that comes from is just wanting to know that you actually meant something but i can tell that she's very self-aware she <laughs> yeah. is that's one thing i noticed yeah. about it. like she's really i think it probably has to do with um her journey in therapy as well you can tell that she's yeah. been through a lot of growth and she's seen growth yeah and um mm -hmm. her story is still unfolding just i'm just blown away by how strong she is you yeah. know, because somebody going through that at that age, most people don't bounce back. 
And the fact that yeah. now she's in a stable position, she has a good job, she's happy trying to be the best version of herself she can be. I really think she's going to keep getting better and I'm strongly rooting for her. The part where she was talking about, oh, he got me an iPhone. And she's like, no, I got me an iPhone. Like, right. I think that was I was pretty, like, yes, yeah, sis. That was pretty, that was pretty <laughs> telling. But yeah, that's the story of Liz. I hope you enjoyed the story. Reach out to us. Yeah. Use the hashtag in these moments on Twitter to comment and let us know what you think about the story. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Liz, for, um, for sharing your story with us. Yes. Don't forget to subscribe. Give us a five-star rating and you could drop a review. Let us know how you love the podcast. We've noticed quite a few people who have been dropping reviews. Thank you so much. Send this to your friends and lovers and family. Let them and know. And sugar daddies. Oh, yes, that too. Let them know about <laughs> the podcast. Tag us in your comments. Yes. Tag us if you use our hashtag so that we can post and really get these conversations popping. Yes, okay? definitely. Um, follow us on Twitter at Moments Pod. You can follow my personal Twitter at King Wale. That's K I N G W O L E. You can follow Timmy at at Timmy Neuron. That is T E M I underscore N I R A N. Perfect. Also follow us on Instagram at In These Moments Pod. We're gonna be posting clips and pictures from the people that have their stories up from time to time. So follow us mm -hmm. on there and go to our website at InTheseMomentsPod.com. And lastly, yeah. if you have a story you want us to work on, you have a story you want us to listen to, our email is pitch at in these moments pod.com. And if you do not have access to an email, you can always just reach us on our social media, DM me or DM Wally or tweet at us and let us know. Perfect. Thank you for listening to the story. We'll be back with you in two weeks with our next episode. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.